Rick Madison here with Jim Sec. Is it? Come on. Is it check or sec? Check. Well, you know what? When I say phone Jim check, iPhone actually corrects me. It says it's. <laughs> Imagine that, the iPhone. <laughs> so. So Jim, we have so much to cover, so let's let's uh, get into this. So Kelowna now, uh, I just want to go through kind of the overview. You had a, a vision for for this media channel. Just just explain, and and it's more glass half full than it is glass half empty. Would be one way I would characterize it. What what are your views? Why has it got a certain feel to it that other media channels do not? Are you to ask me to go way back to the beginning, or are you asking me just to talk about what it is now? Well, a philosophy of sorts. Yeah, so being that we're a marketing agency as well, so we kind of created a persona, because everything has a persona. And so if you think of Kelowna now as a person, and the other media outlets as a person, most media outlets, and you can pick them here... <laughs> Okay, here, Jim has a bit of a chip on his show, but then you'll, you'll get that through this. I mean, you, you can see it. Um, the typical model is an angry old man screaming about dead people. Headlines are three to four words, and they typically have a trigger word in them. I mean, you can go look on most, and it, it's not that it was created by any local media outlets here. It was, a, it was the old newspaper thing, because headlines were only allowed three to four words. So they typically had died, crashed, killed, maimed those kind of words in there. So that's, that's kind of like, you know, like, I guess a lot of people think that that's the, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's, and that's the, how they run it. So, but if you think about that from a persona, that's an angry old man screaming about dead people and they're wrong most of the time. Clonell was created with purpose to be a young female that wants to have a conversation with you. So that the headlines tend to be seven to 10 words and they tend to have a promise of a better tomorrow. I'm not saying they always are because we do all the news, but Kelowna now also, in, in addition to the news, will also tell you where the dog parks are, where to get good poutine and, and a lot of other things that are basically things that matter to the people in the community. Like it's stuff that matters and it's, and it's more local than most outlets. Okay, so for a moment, uh, as people are listening to this, they're going, okay, well, so you're saying you you put some uh, rose-colored glasses on? Is that what happens? No, just just we tell stories through the lens of a person that is more positive in it and cares about the community more than, than trying to lure somebody in with a sensational piece that is about tragedy. So you're not saying you fundamentally change the story. You're just saying you tell more of a a journalistic side and, and, and really give layers to it then. Right. So you, you tell the story with respect and you tell it through the lens of somebody that, that like actually cares about community and, and it's a softer voice for sure. So, and that is that female side of it. So it's a softer female voice. Do people notice that? Or is that something that like, do you get feedback about how, how it comes across? <laughs> share a funny story so <laughs> we just got we just added good news tab to our to the top of the navigation and we got an email from somebody or actually it was a, a letter that was written and it said that you know how thankful they were that we've added good news to the site and they, they really like that and appreciate that Kelowna now is, is is more about good news than bad news hmm. but we do get it a lot from a lot of people especially younger people notice it a lot and then if I explain it to someone, they go like, ah, I get it. Right? So as soon as you explain it to them, because you could do this for all media that's in town, you could say like, 
and, and I don't think Power 104 is power anymore, but I'm going to use him as an example. I mean, if you looked at a persona of that, it's kind of an, you know, like a 50-year-old guy with a ponytail and he's got, you know, like he's got a biker jacket on and he's kind of like... <laughs> And he's kind of like this this guy that's, you know, wears dingo boots and stuff like that. That's kind of the persona. <laughs> Not to say that everybody that listens to Power 104 looks like that. And I'm saying that because they don't exist anymore because I think it's a new brand. <laughs> but if you take a look at, like, you know, Top 40 Station, it's going to have, a, like, a different demographic or voice to it, right? And, and the same thing can be said about a newspaper outlet or another online media platform in town. They all have a persona. And, um, and it's how their voice is, is, comes out. And some of them are really good with their brand and some are not so good and they don't know who they are, right? So like one moment they're talking like this, the next moment they're talking like that. And so it just confuses the reader. Like it, and you can go to the Washington Post and you can go to the New York Times and you can go to all those papers. They all have a persona. So when I went through uh, the communication arts program, secondary school, they, the one instructor said, just so you know, all news is biased. He says, it doesn't matter who's reporting it, whether it be Walter Cronkite or, or Peter Jennings or anybody else, it is biased. It is written by a human being who has its own filter, their own lens. So you were driving your truck at 3 a.m. Do you, do you not sleep? No, well, that's just the time I get up. <laughs> <laughs> but so what time do you go to bed? Um, nine, nine thirty, sometimes ten. So at five and a half, six hours. How how long have you been not sleeping, like normal people? I think that's just in me. Is it long time? Ever since I was cooking in a restaurant when I was probably twenty years old, I was I was a the morning cook. So I think we had to be in at four. So does that? How long has that been? Like a few years? Then you've been getting up in the middle of the night to go to an office or a job or anything else. Does that give you a, an, an extra edge that other people don't have? To me, it's great because I invest in myself the first couple hours of a day. So I do an hour of learning. That's completely, nobody else is up. So nobody else can ask me for anything. So I get an hour of learning in every day and I get an hour of working out. Um, I exercise seven days a week, 365 days a year, even on Christmas. So that's just part of my routine. And I think it's really helped center me, especially in the last couple of years when, you know, there's been a lot of people have been suffering a lot of, you know, mentally. I think that's kind of kept me kind of centered. So, so that, that hour of, of learning and everything else that, that really gives you a, a moment to, I guess, plan the day, figure things out, maybe build a plan. And, uh, I read the the 5 a.m. club book, and it was an advocate for if you really want to get supercharge your day, get up earlier. And and it seems to uh, like you do get a fair amount accomplished during the day. I know that because I get you know emails from you at all all hours. That's for sure. I think that you know like uh, I, the funniest thing I can think of before the 5 a.m. club and that is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger when he says. He's telling people how to become successful in life. And he says, you know, he plans out the whole day and, and, and then he adds at the end, he says, and you get six hours of sleep. And he said, I know, I know people are going to say, I need eight hours. And he says, to, I say to them, sleep faster. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you think about it, if you get two to three hours more a day, add that up by the number of years you're on the planet, think of that advantage that you have. And if you really want to get stuff done, and I'll add this other thing, and I think it was from Steve Jobs. 
if there isn't anything pushing you to get out of bed in the morning, you need to figure out what you want to do. Because if bed is more interesting than getting up, Mm. You're, you just haven't found what you want to do because you should be like chomping at the bit to get out of bed. So Kobe Bryant had a, a thing he did about training and he said, I get up at, you know, five, five thirty, train by six. I get an hour to two hours workout. Then I rest, eat, you know, kind of recuperate a little bit. Then I work out at again, 11. Then I work out again at three. So he said, a lot of people do one or two workouts a day. But he says, because I started the clock earlier, I'm able to get three or four workouts in. Now, by the end of a career, which for him was a longer time, he says, think of how how much extra work I've gotten in by that end of a 15-year career. And... And he was a living product of what happens when you sharpen the saw more often. So there is something to that. So you have bought some property in uh, Greenwood of all places. Now, you have some roots there. Grew up in Greenwood. Uh, I mean, I spent most of my high school years there. Well, until I dropped out. But <laughs> So you were a high school dropout? <laughs> high school dropout. Uh, turned 16, the day I turned 16, called the mill. And uh, asked if they needed any, because they used to call them spares. So we started, uh, the day I turned 16, I started at the mill on afternoon shift. Went into work, this is grade um, 11. And uh, and then it was like, come in next, tomorrow, come in like the whole next week. And then, so I was going to school, basically working full time. So, it's, you know, I was getting tired sometimes. So I'd fall asleep in class and that night, and I wasn't. I did well in school without really trying that hard. That was kind of one of my gifts, I guess. And I remember in, they, they used to read the marks out in class. And I think it was social studies. Mr. Tietzen, are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's reads out the marks and he's like, you know, he goes through the thing and mine starts with C. So it's early on, right? So so he's like, Jim check, 98, not getting it. And I'm just like, excuse me? He's like, I don't care how smart you are. You don't come to class. You don't get the marks. I said, well, am I wasting my time coming? And he's like, seems like it to me. <laughs> so I stopped going to that class. And then was he trying to inspire you or he just didn't like? You? Well, if he was trying to inspire me, he did a shitty job. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that, but you just did. <laughs> did I? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> he, so I stopped going to that class and then I was in uh, power mechanics or something. And uh, I fell asleep because he was, you know. Boring. <laughs> he threw a book at me and he said, I had to choose between work and school. So I'm like, okay, so that's two down. <laughs> so I just stopped going. I didn't go formally and quit. I just stopped going to school and started working full time. So the, our the, family needed the money too. We didn't have a lot of money. So well, that, that, it, wasn't, it wasn't a lot of work for, for me. It was a lot of work out of necessity. Right. Which is often how it starts. And, yeah. and it, you know, your marks were probably, so did you, do you have a diploma? Not that that matters, but <laughs> I do did, you have a diploma? I did, I did go back to school you after did. a number of years. I did go back. I, <laughs> sharing a lot here. I did go back to Nate. Um, I had to get my GED. So I got, just like Ricky off of uh, Trailer Park Boys, I got my GED. <laughs> <laughs> I love references to Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> so I, I did write, I did write English 30 and Math 30, and I applied for pre-business and uh, at Nate, and I didn't get accepted because they said I was a mature student. I was probably like 28 at the time. And they said that I would hold the class back. So I was like, 
So then I applied the following year in business and got accepted. And I was like, wow, that's weird. (laughs) I couldn't get into pre-business, but I got into business. (laughs) And then that year, after my first year, I got a scholarship from Nate for the top marks in school. So I wanted to take both letters down to the admissions and say, see, I didn't hold the class back. (laughs) I'm doing okay. Thanks for the first letter. (laughs) So you, you don't like inefficiencies, do you? No. I'm a process kind of guy. You sure. you are. Yeah. Like, so when you see something, you're like, I want to fix that because that's not, that's the opposite of what would be smooth or fluid or, or effective. Right. I think it's, it's mainly because I'm lazy. So lazy people are the best people to fix things, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're just, how can we do this better? How can we do it faster? So, I mean, I've had jobs as a controller at mine sites and stuff like that. Like, I mean, if you want chaos, that's chaos. Right. Because everything's coming at you full speed. It was $150 million build. And when I got on site, it was a total chaotic. Anybody could order anything, like anybody. And we're spending $10 million a month and there was no controls in place. Sounds like a good way to make money if you're, you know, somewhere along that supply chain. Fired a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) What did the mining position give you? It, It obviously gave you... Something back in regards to how you see things, how you look at things. Because every job, I think, gives you a little bit of a legacy piece. It gives you some some set of tools that you're able to bring forward into, into you know, the next career or the next entity or whatever it is. What did the mining position give you as somebody who's who's controlling millions of dollars, but also you're able to figure out, okay, that person is no longer going to be part of the team, so they're out. And I'm also going to figure out a process for procurement. So there, so that's set in place. But you, you work through that that process, and I think it gave you something. What can you speak to? What that position gave you? I think a lot of people have watched the movie A Team or watched the TV series A Team. Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah, Hannibal. And chaos, like complete chaos. But if you stay calm in chaos, you become very valuable. And that's, I think, the thing is just like the, if you keep your head about you and just very focused on what the mission is, and our mission was to commission a mine, like it was an actual, it wasn't exploration, it was actually commissioning a mine, building it, um, and then staying focused on task and, and going through the, the, the mundane stuff, like going through, con- like I, when I first got to site, they, Toronto would ask me to do a report and. Uh, Again, it was a month and a half. And then in that report, I detailed who should keep their job and who shouldn't keep their job and and detailed all the weaknesses and all the opportunities that were there. And one of those um, was firing the uh, vice president's brother. That didn't go over that well, right? Because he was pretty angry with me. I bet. Yeah. (laughs) But he said, you better be right. (laughs) I was right. But um, I, I think that it really teaches you how you can juggle a lot of stuff and then still get a lot done. I think well, I'm going to jump here. I went through the, there was a big contractor on site that had a hundred guys on site. Uh, I went through their contract, went through their billing, saved $5 million. And I think the second month I was there, we had to get like, they had overcharged us. So that was a big move there too. And, and stuff like that. And I can remember one other time, cause we were always behind the eight ball looking for money. We were always like owing people like $20 million and, you know, we didn't have any money and we were always waiting for the next financing because that's how the mining game works. Mm-hmm. Got a call from that same contractor saying like, we're going to pull off site. Like we're, we're leaving, we've got a hundred guys and you guys owe us like 5 million bucks. We're leaving. I said, you can do that. 
but I can guarantee you we won't get financing then. And then so you'll lose whatever we have. You can have faith and hope that we get our financing and you'll get paid. Or you can leave and it'll shut down the job and that'll be the end of it. Is that is that the energy level you gave them over the phone? Was yeah, just, exactly. just very calm, right? Very calm. Yeah. And they said, you know what, Jim, we'll stay. He said, because you know what? You answer the phone. Toronto stops answering the phone when they don't have any money to pay the bills. <laughs> but, but I always answer the phone. I still answer the phone right now for anybody. Anybody can get a hold of me. If you got my number, I'll always answer the phone. You know that. Uh, that is true. And, and it's, uh, it's an important lesson, I think, for anyone is to be accessible. I, I think a lot of times we think we're being more productive if we're, if we're not as accessible to you know a widespread network which is what you have but the other thing too and this is something that i how do you bounce people like in other words you may not have time to speak to everyone and everyone that calls you or contacts you so how do you keep the engine running if if you're getting contacted all the time which you are well, I think what you have to do is give them closure though, right? Because if you keep leading people on, then that's when you end up with all these people hanging on or whatever for it. Give them the answer that they need and then they move on. And you know what I mean? Instead of, you know, obviously you develop friendships and those people are there when you, when you need them and, then, and it goes both ways. But like, you know, if somebody is trying to get a hold of you, give them closure, right? So either give them the yes or the no or whatever it is they need instead of like kicking it down the road, right? Because that's the worst thing you can do to somebody. Lots of times I'll take a call and it'll be like a sales call like somebody somehow gets through like some of those gatekeepers or don't let them through. And I'll say, I'll give you two minutes to get five, right? So mm -hmm. you got to you gotta give me some. So don't go through a long pitch, right? Just get to the point, right? So you want to buy, you want to get another five minutes, like you better be good in the first two, right? <laughs> well, it's, you ever seen the movie Boiler Room? This is a, this is a great example of that. And, and if you can Google Boiler Room scene where he's eating, eating cereal and he gets a, a call about stocks, because he's one of those guys yeah. that has to sell the, the stock. So would you say that one of your pet peeves is when you can't get a hold of someone? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of pet peeves. I just like, it, it is definitely, I think it's unprofessional if people won't respond, you know, you're expecting a response. I, and I'll give you a story on that too. I came from Edmonton, which like, and I was doing a network install here because I got a computer background too. I was doing a network install and I had ordered a bunch of equipment and, and it was one of the more popular companies in town here. And I'd ordered it and it's now been three weeks. And I don't have anything. Like I'm wondering where all these computers are. Right. So I emailed the guy a couple of times, no response, nothing. So I phoned there and he left a voicemail, nothing. So then I emailed his boss and all of a sudden I got a response. Right. And he says, well, I have nothing to report to you. Why would I answer you? In Edmonton, they would have been tripping over themselves to let you know, like, hey, your computer's delayed, this is this. And, but here it was just like really laid back. So I was just like, listen, if you want to continue with me, then you need to respond, even mm -hmm. if it's to tell me. I don't have anything to say. Yeah. yeah. Just, just let me know what's going on because I have other people I have to answer to. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to give information to. I remember also like one guy, like just to share the kind of like the different, we have a big backyard. It was all weeds. Got a couple of landscapers come out and give us a quote. One guy comes out there and uh, he's looking at it and he's thinking and he's thinking. And then he just looks at me and says, I just leave it natural. <laughs> <laughs> Here's this opportunity for him to make a lot of money. <laughs> and to him, it looked like a lot of work. <laughs> well, you know, that park setting is really quite nice. If you, if you, he managed to get through to the, the weeds. There's a beautiful oasis over there. That's right. He just didn't really want to get into that much work. 
<laughs> I, I'm going to use that the next time. You know what? I would just leave it. <laughs> Don't touch a thing. So are you a card-carrying conservative? You know what? I've never been political. I know this sounds weird. If you go on my LinkedIn, it seems it seems <laughs> fairly political. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I don't know if a lot of people will believe that. So if you go past that, past pre-Trudeau, um, well, you're going to bring politics into it for sure. Awesome. Religion, politics. Let's, we cover let's, let's do politics. So we did level up here in 2019, prior to COVID. My favorite hero is Jean Chrétien, for sure. And and I got to spend four or five hours with him, probably one of the best Canadians. And I, I would send him to represent Canada anywhere. Like he's really embodies, in, in my belief, what Canada is. And we also had Stephen Harper there. I was never a fan of Stephen Harper when he was prime minister. I thought he was, um, like he wouldn't answer questions. He was, you know, like, he was insulated, and and he yeah, controlled he controlled the the narrative. Yeah. Well. So and he wouldn't let his uh, his members of parliament speak. And then, so when I was talking to Mr. Kretchen, he said Justin Trudeau is no different than Stephen Harper. He does the same thing. He controls the message. He said I let my my members speak. He said if they got in trouble, then I could blame it on them at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Jean Chrétien is a different animal in in respect to he he's loaded with charisma. I yeah, mean, no, he's a he's a he's a he's a, a character for sure, and and a, and he did a lot of things that were unpopular, like not going to Iraq when you know there's a lot of pressure, oh, including from Harper, facing go, down, yeah, to, our big to, brother, yeah, yeah, either you're with us or against us, yeah, and uh, and he stood tall, you know what I mean, and and he stood tall for Gander. When the, when the planes couldn't land, we took the planes in Gander. Um, he made the call to shoot down a jet on the on the BC coastline that we didn't have to do it, but it was like moments away from happening. It's a good book if you had a chance to read that book. So, which book? Jean Chrétien's book. Okay. Um, I can't remember the title right now off the top of my head, but so Justin Trudeau comes along, and and, and I'll say. A headline for his book should be The Boy Who Betrayed His Father and the Nation. Because I believe that his father was the one that was part of writing the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And I don't believe that he believes in that at yeah. all. And I also believe that, like, you know, like he won't answer questions because, you know, when, when a reporter's asking a question or a member opposite's asking the question, the answer is for Canadians. It's not for those. It's not to be cute, but he won't answer questions. He won't answer to the number of scandals. So, I, I mean, I'm, I would kind of like say that I'm a left of center liberal. I mean, that's what I would identify as. I, I'm for free daycare, free education, post-secondary education, $100,000 grants for first-time home buyers. All those things are are liberal liberal yeah, type they're, they're left-leaning for sure and yeah. and but i also believe in business i believe in our resource sector i believe that it should be uh, managed responsibly but i just think that that justin trudeau is is not a liberal he's he's something else and i think that we're starting to see that now we're seeing even like you know some like people in ctv going after him and i think he's basically corrupting the whole liberal party so it, it makes me seem like, you know, like, like Elon Musk said, I'm standing here in the center, 
or left of center, everybody moves way, way over there. It makes me look like I'm extreme right. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just like, I never moved, right? Everybody else moved actually, over there. That is actually a good way to to to, to say that, which is, you know, I, I think I've, I've already, I, I, I would categorize, and I know you hate being categorized as anything, but uh, a, a capitalist with a conscience, I would I say. I would say that, that. I mean, I think I grew up dirt poor, so I understand poor. And I, mean, I totally understand. I'm bullied all the time, too. I understand all those things. Is that where the chip on the shoulder comes sure. from? Sure. Because, you know, you're bullied. Like, I was spent a lot of time in lockers, spent a lot of time in garbage cans. Mm -hmm. Locked in a locker. That's a really cool place to be, right? Spent a lot yeah. of time walking home from high school crying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of, you recognize the bullies. And, you know, just because they're wearing a suit now, it doesn't make them any better than when they were just, like, high school bullies, right? I mean, what we've seen in the last couple of years is just bullying, right? With no respect for anybody else, no empathy, no, nothing. So bullying is wrong no matter how and when you do it. Okay, so you you have on your, I think it's on your Instagram, there's a signature below, and uh, Jim Check believing in a, in a Canada, a free Canada for all, or I can't remember the wording, but it's on there, and, and, and I think, I want you just to uh, pontificate, if you could, about what that means to you, because you you have it on on your signature. Well, I think that Canada, when Jean Chrétien was at the helm, I think Canada was the shining light for the world. I think it was the shining light of democracy. And I think it, it was an example to the world of what could be, where people's... Um, could be who they want to be. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a Canada for all means like whether you're poor, whether you're whatever your race, religion, background is, or or what your preferences are or whatever, like you should be able to be comfortable and accepted in Canada. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I, I you know, the, in, in the United States, it's more of a melting pot where they try to assimilate people into becoming Americans. But but in here, it's 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 more of like you know, there's cultures that are all there, and and you're allowed to have your culture, and you don't have to be, you don't have to melt into something else. You can be who you want to be, and I think that's what Canada for all is. And I think this wealth gap is getting absurd. And you know, like a lot of this, if you look at, I don't want to get going on finances, but like if you look at a lot of the money that was printed, most of it went to the rich and the elite. And, and that's the shame. Like a lot of these things, like all that money that was spent during COVID, show me where it is and where it benefited people other than, do you know what I mean? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's nothing that's better. Like, you know what I mean? Like we've wasted, instead of putting that, in, you always get better results by incentivizing as opposed to punishing. And what we've seen in the last two years is a government that wants to punish, right? Instead of incentivize people. And, and that's like even... People, you, people are given money to stay home. That's not incentive. That's not producing goods. Devil's advocate. So if so, they're giving these checks, the Serb checks, and right. and and again, do you think it was just a misconstrued monetary policy, though? I because I I mean, part of me thinks uh, <laughs> that you have a government that maybe just didn't know. Um, they just knew. Okay, we have to get this money into the the hands of Canadians as quickly as we can, without really realizing you know, in a, in a chessboard that two or three moves is going to result in this. Like, I just wonder if it's just a, a lack of understanding versus an actual, this is, this is what we want to do. Well, I think it was populist. 
because a lot of other countries are doing the same thing. And I also think it was a bit of a distraction because that's like small crumbs that are being handed out to the people while they're stealing money out the back door in the billions and trillions that are going to companies like BlackRock and Vanguard that are now buying single family homes with, you know, like your tax dollars. So I think it's 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 a bit of distraction when everybody fights about the $2,000 and, you know, picks at that. They don't realize, what, why is the Bank of Canada and the, and the U.S. Fed buying bonds from companies like Apple? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where people should be looking, right? You know, like Christia Friedland can't answer where most of the money went, can't or won't, right? So, mm-hmm. so that, that, that should be a concern, right? We know where the $2,000 went, but where where did the rest of it go? And her background is actually quite suspect for mm-hmm. her to, to be having her hand on the trigger, so to speak. I, I'm going to say something that might not be very popular. I think of like like a lot of the people that are in Trudeau's close circle it's kind of like Revenge of the Nerds. Like they're, you know, I was picked on in school, but these are angry people and they want to punish people, it seems like. They have no empathy. You know, like, you know, if you look at that, the, the there's, and I'm going to get their names wrong, Mendisa or whatever. Like he blatantly lies. Christia Friedland, blatantly lies, right? Like they, they just, they just don't care. And Omar is his name. The guy with the, mm-hmm. the guy that's like, making sure nobody gets to fly or whatever <laughs> like like he's he seems angry all the time <laughs> like and then then there's Stephen Gilbert or whatever his name is mm-hmm. telling people they should ride their bike to work what is that guy in the Yukon that has to go 50 miles and 50 below should he get on his bike <laughs> if he had studded tires I mean maybe because you know not everybody this is what I say not everybody has a $150,000 job and they live in a condo that's three blocks away. Not everybody has that, right? <laughs> and it's the same thing. I listen on Bloomberg in the morning and they say, oh, inflation's bad. Yes, we realize that. But, you know, the stock market's been really good, so people should just sell their stocks. And I'm just thinking, you know, 90% of people don't have stocks, right? They just want to eat. <laughs> so this might get you in trouble, but, you know, that's what I'm all about here on the Rick and Friend show. Uh, so you have a, a very vivacious wonderful wife who's actually she was president of the chamber um she's very active in the community and you i would say because i've seen you at network events you kind of shuffle off into the corner (laughs) how does that work between the two of you because you know she is uh, a wonderfully visible public figure do you like the public eye do you do you is that something that you enjoy or is that something you try to shy away from i'm not a fan of being in the public eye. I don't think, you know, I don't, I'm not shy or scared of it. I just, I just think that, you know, some people love it and I know it's not one of my, my greatest things. I think Nikki does a great job of representing the company and the brand out there. And, you know, um, I probably, I, I'm, if one thing I am is like honest and, and, uh, I'll say what I feel. And then sometimes people don't like to hear that do you know what i mean like but that but that must make you sleep faster yeah (laughs) is it i mean i'm i'm very nothing you leave nothing very honest in what i say and and sometimes it grates people the wrong way and uh because they want you to sugarcoat it more often yeah and i got this terrible sense of humor some people think (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's sahara dry and if if you know it then you're you know, a lot of people don't get that, but, but I, you know, I fall into the same trap too, which is, oh, you thought I was serious. Well, I'm definitely not calling your $6 million pad a dump. Like I'm just, I'm just saying, 
jokingly, that's a dump. And mm-hmm. and and some people take that. So I remember one of the one of the MPs lost his his election, and he'd been an MP for quite a few t- terms. And then he was a little sad or whatever. And so when I, I was chatting with him, I said, oh, man, this must suck, right? You should have to buy your own lunch from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so see, see that that's not exactly, you know, endearing sometimes. Right? But I thought it was funny. <laughs> it's like the hockey player when he was playing beer league. And just a few years ago, he was playing professionally. And I said, oh, man, you got to carry your own bag into the dressing room. Oh, geez. <laughs> And he looked at me and I thought, I think I'm going to get smoked during this game. <laughs> Some people have no sense of humor. <laughs> but it is it is fun. Like, I think in, unless, and, and this is something I try to instill in my kids, is it's okay to laugh at yourself and it's okay to laugh at a moment because the world does give us characters. And, and unless you actually can enjoy them for what they are, these moments, you, life is kind of tough otherwise. And I and, I, and I go back to that. Nikki is really good at speaking in front of a crowd. Like she actually enjoys it. Whereas I need to feel like it has to come from passion. And if it comes from passion, I tend to get, you know, I say things that, that I believe in. Right. And, and lots of times people don't want to hear that stuff. They just want to hear sugar coat and they mm-hmm. like rainbows and, and, and unicorns. Right. And, and sometimes that's, that's not what needs to be said. So Keeping me away from a microphone is probably a good idea. <laughs> so what what gets in the way of your success? Like I know there's, we all have certain things that we know, I wish I could stop doing that because it actually gets in the way of certain things, opportunities or, or maybe relationships or anything else. Is there anything that gets in the way of your success, you think? Yeah, not enough time. And I think sometimes clarity, like too many things. Um, People are a distraction, and I've gotten better at that. I used to let things bother me a lot. Now I don't let things bother me that much. Like, you know, like I used to let, I've done a lot of HR and mindsets in a whole bunch of different places. And I used to let things become personal. Mm -hmm. So I try, and I, you know, like even at the mindset when I let go a bunch of people, I was, it was best interest for both parties, right? And And I let them know that, that that was. So you have a surprising amount of empathy, actually. Yeah, no, empathy, I think, is one of my strengths for sure. And I, and I see that. So like, <clears throat> like if we think about the media in town here too, and how they've been scaled back, like the daily courier from 130 people to, I mean, I might get that number wrong, hundred plus people to six or whatever. And then, you know, like the radio stations, you know, you're part of the radio work. I mean, I don't think that people in Toronto, and, and it's part of my profession, accountants, bean counters, they look at the bottom line, they say, you got to cut like 30% of your workforce. And they don't care that that person's got a mortgage and a, and, you know, like their kids just needs braces and all that stuff. They just said, like, get rid of them, right? And and <clears throat> I'm more connected with the people, do you know what I mean? Because I, I see them. So it's tougher to just let people go like that, you know what I mean? Like where they just kind of like make those those broad strokes like that. But how do you release that? So you, you, at one point, you know, were, it would bother you and you would carry that for a long time, but there's gotta be some sort of process you follow in your mind of here's how I release that. I think I position it better when I have to do it now so that it's, it's, it's better for both parties. I think that's the, the better thing. And then I don't let it become a personal thing, right? Even if somebody tries to turn it personal, I just kind of let it go. Like even like I'll post some stuff on LinkedIn and somebody will, and I don't mind discussing a point, but when they start personally attacking, I just 
walk away from it, right? Like I just either. Oh, and and I think that used to be a, a fight you would carry. Yeah, and I would right just because I would just because again, if you're bullied in high school all the time, like you got a lot of that in you that you know, like, and that that's a lot of like people, you know, ganging up on you, shaming you, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, and and I think it's uh, some of some of the people that have have really changed. Um, you know, I look, I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan and in his eyes, he did great things because he thought it was a personal vendetta. <laughs> like yeah. he would turn everything, but he said, I, I would say, okay, as long as you give me a, even a real or imagined reason, I will now win the game because you have given me something. Right. You, you didn't say hello to me in the locker room or <laughs> whatever it was, he would go, Great. Now I've got the engine for my fuel. Well, Dwayne Johnson, I mean, he just basically says, eat it, right? And mm -hmm. fuel yourself with it. And I mean, that's, and I've used that, right? Because, you know, like our name in school was Mud. If you want to like, guys, name was Mud. <laughs> our name was Mud because, you know, like they used to make fun of the last name and make fun of us and because mm -hmm. we were dirt poor and stuff like that too. And we smell, all the flies lived at our house. And there was quite a few there actually, but... <laughs> I don't know if all of them live there, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like a bit of a overarching. So, so I was always pretty sharp with my wit. And then as I got older and more confident, what I did, what was really smart after I was being picked on a lot is I picked myself a friend that was four years older than me and big like a monster. And so then <laughs> a lot of the people that are picking on me, <laughs> he would just say, sit down. <laughs> But that, that is truly one of the gifts, which is, okay, I need to get here, so I need to figure this out. And that was a process for you. It was. It was find a solution, right? Yeah. Or get picked on all the time. And then I, yeah. I you know, I was the little, the little, what's it called? I don't know, like it, uh, that's the Shrek, the movie. I was the donkey, I guess, buzzing, <laughs> buzzing around the, the Shrek. <laughs> change is good. <laughs> right. Change is good, donkey. <laughs> So you were up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., tire explodes. You decide to drive on your rim because you were you were not excited about being outside in, in darkness, changing a tire, even though I know you can. Why, why was that um, kind of a moment for you? Just kind of explain what you saw at 3 a.m. Because some of us, including myself, we're not up at 3 a.m., so we don't see this stuff. But what did you see when you were driving around? I think it was around Springfield, I think. Yeah. So one of the things that I've always kind of learned is is know your surroundings, like be aware of what's out, out there. And, and, and kind of like in your, in your mind really fast, think of worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And you always have to kind of plan an exit. If I go to a movie theater and like if I'm with family, I'll know where the exits are and I'll know what to do if something happens. Like I, I have that already done in my head, right? So driving in, um, truck was making weird noises. It sounded just like the muffler or something. I was like, oh, I'll take it to the dealership after. And then it kind of got louder and louder. And then um, after I made the turn onto Springfield, I could tell something was weird. Um, so I pulled over as I turned. I can't remember the name of that road there. Birch maybe turned on birch and I pulled over and I went to look and you can see the tire was now flat, like the back rear tire on the passenger side. And I know at three in the morning, I see a lot of people that kind of own the night and I'm not saying anybody's going to do anything, but it's, it's, there's, and the odds are the people that are going to come to help you may be more interested in helping themselves than helping you. And so it's just <clears throat> why put yourself in a position where you where you may 
especially with your back's turned and you're working, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and you're in a, in a vulnerable position in the dark and it's just not a good idea. So, I mean, I made, I made the choice there that it's not worth the risk mm-hmm. and, and continued on. And I mean, the same thing, I, I was in Calgary just recently with my daughter. She has a, she lives in a condo and then she has another condo just down the road and they had the fob there and I like to work out. So I went there, at five, it opened at 5 a.m. So I walked, it was like three and a half blocks or something. I walked from the one unit to the other unit at 5 a.m. Still fairly dark. And Calgary is um, similar to here. I mean, there's people on the on the streets, you know, like there was a lot of yelling and, and uh, um, people doing uh, drugs early in the morning and stuff like that. I mean, I, I feel for those people. I mean, where's, where's help? Where's, where's the help, right? I think we basically, a lot of people call them throwaways or whatever. And I think that's just terrible. I mean, they need help, not, not more drugs. I don't think they need like, where, where's the help? Like, where's, where's a home? Like, I mean, and I do believe in this journey home thing. Like, we so safe injection site is not in your I, wheelhouse. I'm, I'm sure, like I mean, that, but they're they when they're there. But maybe just like, how do we find help for these people as well? Not just like come back tomorrow. It's it's like what's the path forward, right? Because I don't think a lot of these people are given an opportunity for a path forward. And I think we can do all those other things as well, but we should be working on the path forward as well. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's missing. You wear a lot of gold. What you do. Now, I know you're a believer in, in uh, the Canada's resource sector and that kind of thing, but does that, is that uh, a way for you to hold on to assets? Like, is that, is golden assets? So it's a, it's a great talking point because a lot of people notice it, obviously. And then uh, I am very proud of Canada's resource sector. And I worked in the resource sector. I worked in, I worked in the sawmill industry when I was 16 years old. And I worked in, the, in, in that industry for probably 10 years. And then I worked in mining. Um, if you look at Canada's GDP, the bulk of it is made up of mining, agriculture, forestry. Well, people would have to look. Oil and gas. People would have to look. People have to look. But you also go look in the hospitals and you go look at all the equipment donated by Kinross, donated by. (laughs) That's Jim, Jim's phone. And we just talked about being accessible. So look at you. Good for you. So if you look at that. If you look on the wall in a lot of hospitals and places like that, you're going to see their names of mining companies, uh, forestry companies. They all give back to the community. They, they, they generate a lot of royalties. They give back. And so, like, when, when we talk about that, um, I believe, like, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm going to get confused here. But, like, think of this way. Like, we've spent so much time, money, or I'm going to start over. So much time raising these tech companies on pedestals, you know, like the Jeff Bezos's and all that stuff and making them into these, you know, the guys at Uber. So those companies create one billionaire and a bunch of people working for minimum wage. Whereas if you look at the resource sector, the janitor makes $75,000 a year. Those jobs buy trucks, they buy houses and they build families. So I think we should spend more energy and time on our resource sector, whether that's agriculture, whether that's oil and gas, whether that's our mining sector or but, but, our mill. But Jim, we're stripping the, the earth of its uh, of its resources. The same people that say that want their smartphone that's full of gold, silver, nickel, lithium, silica. Like I can go on and on and on. It, everything we do is energy. And I'll give you this one little thing on energy, like a piece of bread. A piece of bread starts with a tractor that plants the seed, 
and then they fertilize it and then the combine comes and harvests it and then puts it into the back of a truck that takes it to the granary that then a train comes from the granary and takes it to a flour mill and they grind it with energy and they turn it into flour and then it's put back on the trucks the bags of flour is taken to a bakery and then they use heat to turn it into bread but but a lot of those people don't want to get caught up in the details right and but just think of all the energy in that bread because then you they, they take it to the store and then you go to the store and pick it up and take it home and toast it all of that's energy right like everything we do is energy and i'm not saying like we should be like going like strip mining like going create manage our resources responsibly take the profits from that and move it into clean energy nuclear energy like canada has the technology for smrs what's yeah, an we, smr like small modular reactors and yet we don't want to do that either right mm -hmm. and it, it just seems odd like we have huge deposits in saskatchewan of of uranium and it's just odd, right? Like, it's just really odd. Like, Canada is one of the few countries in the world that don't have gold as reserves. Gold is one of the biggest reserves for most central banks. And guess which country who's, who has the best mining technology of almost anywhere in the world? The Canadian miners are some of the best in the world. They're, they mine all over the world. And we don't have any gold in our reserves. Isn't that odd? Uh, that does seem a bit odd, given the fact of our resource sector being as large and diverse as, as it is. But odd and ridiculous all at the same time. <laughs> okay, so you have a a new granddaughter. I do. Now, what is uh, now? Oftentimes, kids, and in your case, grandkids, um, they almost change our scope. Oh my gosh! I didn't do that. Was theory that did that. <laughs> but they they sometimes change your your viewpoint. Um, has that offered you any kind of new perspective? on your legacy, on moving forward, or anything else that that grandchild who I, I know you adore, um, is that, has it softened <laughs> Jim Check, Or is it, has it made you, uh, given you more resolve in, in battling and, and fighting the fight towards, you know, Ottawa and all that kind of good stuff? Like, what has it given you back? Well, she I think that, that, you know, um, at first, you know, you don't want to be a grandpa, right? Because that's a big thing in life. All well, it's, like, it's a time hey, thing. Hey, grandpa. And you're yeah. just like, stop calling me grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> just call me Jim. It's like, <laughs> if you want me to talk to you, just start, you know. Anyway. Um, it's amazing. Like, it's, you know, you kind of get to help again. And obviously, like, you know, you help the generations. And uh, Charlotte is a is a very um, beautiful child. And I think, you know, like she's lucky that she's, you know, got uh, my daughter's a nurse. Um, she was a NICU nurse. So she's like spending all her time and energy raising Charlotte. And then her, her boyfriend that she's lived with for seven years, Callan, he's in the oil and gas industry. So Kim used to be a... Um, Prissy kind of girl, I guess. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Prissy kind of girl. Like, she was all into fashions and brands and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, really didn't want to get her hands dirty. A, a fashionista. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now she's, like, she's like wearing Levi's, and when she's not nursing, she's out there on the rigs uh, using pressure washers and stuff like that. So so she's helping with their, you know, their uh, pump jacks and all that kind of stuff. So she works. They work hard. They work really, really hard. And, you know, like, their cat started a 
because he was trying to do something energy like he i mean they, they're trying to like he he went and bought a bunch of natural gas trucks right so that they would clean burn clean energy right so he also started uh, a bitcoin miner thing off the flare off gas and stuff like that so like utilizing some of the resources that are going to waste so i think a lot of the people in the oil field business are really trying hard right to to you know make do what a, they can do it right. right so yeah. and they went deep into the hole when uh you know like oil and gas like it was negative ten dollars a barrel right so they maxed out their operating lines and credit cards and everything to buy more leases and stuff like that. And Kim was maxed out. <laughs> so they took a gamble on on that industry, right, on Alberta. And it, it's worked out right now for them. So, I mean, Alberta's always been kind of a, a rolling kind of like, you know, like from oh, the no. highs oh, to the, it's to the valleys, right? So, but, but you haven't exactly answered the question. Right. I, I mean, I, has it softened me? I mean, I think like we're looking at a ranch right now. And if I was to buy that ranch, it'd probably be for her. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think she is the future. And so is my daughter, the future. And I think that's where I probably say like, you know, that's why I care so much. Cause if I was selfish, I would just say, I don't really care. Like I have enough money for myself. I don't really care. I can go to Costa Rica. Like, a lot of friends are going to Costa Rica and saying they're done with Canada. Mm-hmm. So that's why I fight on LinkedIn. That's why I, I, you know, like I send in letters, like ask Tracy Gray, how many letters I send. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I know. No, but but it is you know from from someone who uh, who you know sees a lot of your your uh, notes and 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 thoughts that are driven by uh, care. Like you, you actually still care about the future. And I know you have enough reserves and resources to to say, listen, we're just going to cash out and go to Costa Rica. I think that's that's why a lot of people might even misconstrue your actions and go what's he on about uh today but it it's it's based on a caring of i don't like the direction so i'm going to try to offer a voice and that's why i say like canada for all right right now it's being it's being hijacked by elitists right and that's and that's a problem right like i mean the people in canada that are suffering are the people that are going to work over the lunch pail crowd that are going to work every day and they're just barely making it, right? You know, to them, like, you know, when they say, oh, inflation's only like, you know, like four or 6% or whatever. Yeah, if, if all you're buying is food and energy and you're paying rent, it's a lot higher than that, right? And, and if you're already on the wire, like if you're already like, you had 200 bucks left at the end of the month, now you're in the hole. Now you're digging a hole and you're choosing between eating and heating. And that's not right. And that's what's wrong. And that's, and that's why we have to fight. We have to fight for everybody and we have to stick together. And, and that's the, the big thing. People are, well, it's not really bothering me. Okay. But what about your fellow citizen or your fellow that, that, that is more vulnerable than you? What about them? I, I, I'm going to jump to this story. So I was chatting with a guy in town. He's a developer. And he's got lots of money and he's got a big truck. He's got like a big truck like mine. And he's at the gas station and he was like, and I didn't recognize he had his hat and sunglasses on. And then he walked over and he started talking to me and I kind of figured out who he was. And he started grumbling about like, it's 250 bucks to fill up my truck. This is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And he was going on and on about this, right? And I said, well, that may be true, but it's an inconvenience for you and I. Just think of the people that can't fill up their vehicles because they just can't. Think about them, what they're going through right now when, you know what I mean? So, you know, we have put a carbon tax on these people and all that stuff. And, and then, and it's just not right. It's just, it's just, and then that's where we have to fight for those people. Just because you like, you know, him and I can fill up our trucks and it's an annoyance. What about the people that can't? You, we talk about, you know, 
adding a voice to this conversation and, and, you know, people might be listening to this going, I don't like what's going on either, uh, whether it be in Ottawa or in Victoria. How do you think a lot of people could add a voice to this? Can they, do they, you know, give money to the, to the opposition? Do they like, how, how can different people do that? Cause I, I, I think fundamentally some people just honestly do not know the plan forward for their household or for their, you know, for their, their family union. How do we, how do we add to this? Yeah, and this is one where I'm probably going to get myself in trouble for sure. But I think it is raising your voice for sure. And that's by writing your MP, writing an actual letter, phoning your MP or MLA, doing all those things, but also reaching out to the media outlets and say, give the voice to the people. Because I think in all of this, I think our national media has let us down. I think instead of holding power accountable, which is what journalists should do, holding power accountable, they've become a voice for the government. And I don't know how that ended up happening. I, I see some some hope. I've seen a couple of pieces from CTV recently. Actually, and, uh, and, and recently, that's uh, that's true, is I've seen more of a pushback from CTV than in the last two years. And it, but they were missing. They were missing for the last two years when people needed their voice. Because, you know, like, when that trucker rally was going on, People kept saying it was a trucker rally, but those people standing in the ditches, tens of thousands along the way to Ottawa, weren't truckers. That's a working class movement. Those are people asking for voice. And that, when, when a leader of a country, and this wasn't during the truck, this was before the trucker, when a leader of a country who's responsible for all people, no different than any leader anywhere, says, how do we tolerate these people? How do we tolerate 6 million people? That emboldens people to bully, coerce, you know what I mean? It, 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 it marginalizes that six million people. And that's so wrong as a leader to say something like that, to have no empathy whatsoever for those people. How do we tolerate these people? And, and prime minister, if you break down as, as Pierre Polyev did, prime minister is the first first servant, like the first servant yeah. for He's for supposed Canada. to be for the people, mm -hmm. right? And, and even if you disagree with somebody, you're still responsible for them. And that's, and that's where he is completely out of line. And it almost, like, it, it's brought me to tears a couple of times, like just how bad he is to Canadians. Like, I took the vaccine, but I will stand next to anybody that didn't take it. I'll defend their right not to, right? But we should be educating people and incentivizing people instead of punishing people. And that's what's wrong, right? Like, that's, like, punishment... Raise a child with punishment or incentive. Which one's better? Yeah. No, the carrot or the stick. Yeah. So uh, you believe in fitness. You believe in, in eating well. I know because you, you harp on it a lot. <laughs> Annoyingly so. Um, but is, is that, uh, is that a, a, a message you want to inspire people with? Is that something you want other people to know about? Is I think I share that on my Instagram and LinkedIn, hopefully to inspire people because if at my age, I'm in the best shape of my life. And How old I, are you? Turning 60 here. Wow. At my age, if I can do this, anybody can do anything. And it was, it kind of like, it was, I don't even know. And I that. knew you when the ice cappuccino was a Yeah, and I was doing like five of those a day. And then I did a lot of, <laughs> did a lot of Coke, Coca-Cola. <laughs> like five or six Coke a day. 
and then and the uh, ice cap and the ice cap. Well, like, yeah. well, you used to say, "Hey, I'm going through the drive-through. You want another ice cap?" And I'm like, "Geez, that's like six thousand calories, Jim." <laughs> yeah, so I was forty pounds heavier, and when I was working on the mine side too, because you know they they made three entrees and then you could eat all three if you wanted, right? So I ate a lot, worked a lot. And then I thought, you know, like, cause I'd, I'd go on a couple of days of diet or whatever, and then um, you'd lose a pound, but then you gain two back. And it's just, I thought, well, it's hopeless. At my age, there's no way I can lose weight. And that was, you know, 10 years ago or something like that, or whatever it was. And uh, I was reading something in my learning there, like, you know, like, just cut bread and sugar. Wheat and sugar, just cut wheat and sugar. But those are fun. Oh, I know like that. If you look at a menu, that's ninety percent of it's wheat and sugar. Oh, right? it's so good though. Yeah, it's wheat and sugar, and then so I cut wheat and sugar, and I was losing a pound a day almost. I lost like forty pounds in two months or something like that. Do you just, think? Do you think sugar is our society's biggest arch nemesis? Sugar is ho- like horrible for sure. Like I mean, you, when you get a company like Coca Cola, Virtue Signal, you know about whatever. And I'm thinking, if you really want to help people. Stop selling poison to people. Mm. They said, literally, you're selling poison to people, right? And um, sugar is like, even in this this crisis we just had, where was the government telling people to work on their health? Because my daughter's a nurse, and what's the hospital full of? People that are overweight because of the health conditions due to, due to, due to weight? Well, careful there. <laughs> the same. <laughs> there, but if people looked after themselves... And spent more energy. Like if you, if anything, they should have closed off the middle aisles in the grocery store and all the fast food joints, mm-hmm. and left the mom and pop restaurants open. No, no, no. But we're going to keep the alcohol and the cannabis yeah, readily yeah. available. Yeah, just to get everybody like. And I'm, I'm, I. We're going to shut down the gyms, though. My dad was an alcoholic, and uh, my and my Nikki's wife, mother, also, you know, like succumbed to alcoholism, and you know, they ended her life early with that too. So. Alcohol's a drug as well, right? So um, it's not good for you. You know, whoa, like whoa, whoa! Slow that bus. Slow down. down. Slow down, right? But, but if you really want to work on your health, working out is great because that's. I think that's more for your mind sometimes too. And, and I think but a it, lot of people. What you eat is the no, most important. Well, and and it's been said that seventy percent of 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 really right. any kind of plan is is your diet. It is what you eat, and and then you know like. And I know cereal's easy. I used, I love cereal too. But. Well, one hand, as Seinfeld <laughs> says, it's one hand. It's like, like you don't need cereals. Cereal's really easy, but like it's 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 not good for you or not good for your children. Like do you know what I mean? Like, even though it says on the box, heart healthy, <laughs> and it says fortified with. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically garbage. Well, it's got all those great colors on it too, it's and those and those I bees. Go cocoa for cocoa puffs, <laughs> or cuckoo for cocoa puffs, or whatever that is. Great commercials. Well, uh, well, and 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 on the other side of it, uh, you know, a lot of people are are struggling with. Uh, geez, I, I can barely get myself out of bed. Work my two jobs. Look after the kids. So sometimes cereal and glass, like in the milk, it just it's the easiest thing. It's convenient for me. You know, and a lot of people are. Yeah, no, it's 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 convenient, but it's not good for you. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> so is cheeseburgers convenient, right? <laughs> okay, it's been a it's been a hoot, a veritable hoot with Jim Check, and uh, we've covered some stuff. Uh, we'll have to get you on the big show. Um, <laughs> and uh, I do appreciate the fact that you are a straight-talking individual. You do not sugarcoat anything. 
You can send all your nasty emails to Rick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, floor 20 of Landmark 6. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me.